So we have, um, you know, I think just gotten out of this crazy, well, I shouldn't say gotten out of, but we've definitely kind of moved out of the political cycle right now. And I don't know about you, but I'm like, <sighs> emails feel that way? And it's like, it doesn't seem to matter whether you're right or left. It's like everybody I know is kind of like, <sighs> so you can do that right now. It's good. <sighs> feels good, but it's not over. <laughs> but I, uh, I think it's really interesting because I was talking to somebody this week about politics, and I was just saying how for me, you know, and I've been, I think I'm pretty open about how I'm, uh, uh, you know, a kingdom. I'm trying to be as kingdom as I can, and I think a lot of other people are too. But what that means for me is that when people tell me that the church shouldn't be political, I'm always like, well, let's talk about that. Because I think the most political statement that's ever been made, as well as that's ever been called for, is when the early church called for people to declare that Jesus is Lord. That is a political statement, isn't it? Because what it means is that Caesar is not. And that's why in the first century, there were followers of Jesus who would make that declaration, and then they would be, they would be martyred. And so I think that in some ways, the church has always been political, and really, we just have to think deeply about how the statement that Jesus is Lord applies into all the different various issues that come. Amen? Does that make sense? Like, it's challenging, and, and so I, I just love it whenever people that I know um, are, are, or people who I don't know make decisions to say that Jesus is Lord. I, I think that is the most important decision you could ever make in your entire life. Amen? It's like number one. And so when people make that decision, what happens is they start to engage with Scripture. This is, what I, this, this is the common. They start to engage with Scripture. They start talking to followers of Jesus. And then they start to ask questions about being baptized. They say, hey, I would like to get baptized. When are we going to do that? And so you might remember that a couple of weeks ago, we did baptisms. We had baptisms, and we didn't do it here. We did it in a really cold, freezing river called the Sacramento River, and it was awesome. And I want to show a couple pictures of it because Sean Michaels, who goes to church here, showed up with his camera, and they're phenomenal. But right here, bam, look at that. And she's here today with the mask on. Susie, can you wave? Yay, so give her a round of applause. It was awesome. And I held her under there to make her feel the 55-degree weather or water. Like, you're not, more, Lord, more. I did. I was, I was a big baby. Uh, and then we had another baptism. Alicia got baptized. And then we also had Anne get baptized. And so it was awesome. It was really, really great. And I just want us to, as a church, um, remember that, that our mission, we've said, is to know Jesus, but our, our second part of that mission is to make Jesus known, right? Like, it's not just about us knowing Jesus, it's about other people getting to know Jesus. And one of the ways that people profess their knowledge of who Jesus is, is to get baptized. And it's awesome, isn't it? So let's give them a round of applause just because it's such a good thing, and we value that. And so... I just love seeing that. And today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that's going to actually talk a little bit about baptism in addition to some other things. And we're going to flesh that out as a part of our continuing of our series on Colossians. And so we're going to read Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 12. And we're going to talk about it, reflect on it, and then wrestle with the implications of what Paul says here. And so if you have a Bible, feel free to turn to Colossians chapter 2. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen here. And so, reading from the New Living Translation, we come to these words. Paul writes, And now, 
Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots grow down into Him and let your lives be built on Him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head of over every ruler and authority. Let me say that again. He is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. And Holy Spirit, we invite you right now into this place to continue your work, to continue drawing us closer to you, to continue to empower us to live in the reality of the kingdom, to make a difference in the lives of people we come in contact with, to, to love our cities and our communities well, and to do all that we can to bring glory to Jesus. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to do this this morning. I want to just talk about Colossians because one of the things that I've said many times is that when I think about um, preaching or, or sermons, I always think about how it seems like there's, there's sermons that are really good about spending all their time in the Greek or the Hebrew, and they, they do exegesis of the text, and everybody understands what the text meant in the first century, but then they might walk away wondering, like, well, I don't really know how that applies to my life now. And then the other side is there's uh, some sermons that are really practical and give you the five steps to making a million dollars, and by the way, I haven't heard that one yet, but Point being is that there's like really good sermons about that and people walk away with lots of practical information, but they aren't sure where it comes from. And so what we want to do this morning is talk about the text of Colossians and then think about application in the current context we're in. And so I just want to engage, I want to engage Colossians for just a few minutes here and just think about what we just read. Because as I've said many times, Colossians, I think, is one of the most powerful books of the Bible, especially given the context, the cultural, sociological challenges that we're facing right now. But basically what we just read is this. Paul is restating what he's already said in the book in chapter 1. He's basically expanding on it. He's saying, hey, listen, let me just underscore how important it is that everything that we do is centered on Jesus. And you might remember in chapter 1, in verses 15 through 20, uh, what Paul did is he says that, that Jesus was before, before all creation. He's the firstborn. He's over everything and in all things. He is supreme. He's preeminent. And he's the most important. That's what he's already said. And so now he's basically restating that. He's, he's kind of, in a sense, I think, providing what I would call a functional worldview. He's, he's helping us to think philosophically about the world that we live in. And so this is the challenge that he's challenging us with. When it comes to, to, to thinking about our lives, your life right now, and how you should be living, what he's essentially doing is he's urging you to be faithful and to continue in the pattern that he teaches in Colossians chapter 1, that in all things Jesus is supreme. And that's pretty hard, isn't it, to really live that out at times? Maybe you don't see that, but I think it is challenging. But 
I think it's, it's safe to say that when it comes to this passage, Paul is essentially saying that followers of Jesus or Christians, they need to, need to hold on to that which aligns with the image and power of the Messiah, as explained in Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 20. Saying, hey, that is your center. And, and I think that in, in my faith, that's been one of the most important things that I've found that is going to help us navigate the challenges of the future, is that we need to keep coming back to who who we belong to, what centers us. Because, you know, what we're trying to have here, as challenging as it is, we're trying to have a space where people from all different walks of life are able to come together and to worship and, and work together for the good of, for the glory of God and the well-being of human beings. But it's really hard when you get more than two people in a room, isn't it? Because you find out that everybody's got different opinions on everything. But what we do is we want to we have a, a space where people from all different walks of life can come and encounter God. Amen? Are you with me? Like, that's a value. I, I think we want to value all different types of people. And so that's essentially what Paul's doing here. He, he's, just, he's just laying out and saying, hey, I already kind of talked about this. I already kind of told you how important Jesus is for our faith. And so let me flesh that out a little bit here for you to understand how it applies into the real world that we, we live in. And so I think that's an important thing for us to think about is connecting our faith to action. Because uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it is super easy in today's world for us to, to say one thing and then to do another thing. Like everybody in society basically does it. In fact, everybody I know, depending on, no, not, no matter what political party they hold to, everybody pretty much feels like politicians say one thing but then do another. Are you with me? And it's like everybody's just doing that, and it's really frustrating me because it's like, man, you know, you say this, but then you do this. You say this, and then you do that, and it just doesn't quite fit. And so I think as followers of Jesus, we have to, we have to look at that as a challenge for us too, okay? Let me, let me just be really, really honest about what this looks like, I think, is that we live in a community, in a culture that I, I really consider our... How, actually, back up. How many of you have been to, to the South? Okay, you ever been to the Bible Belt? And there's things about the Bible Belt that are pretty interesting, right? Like, everybody's a Christian. But, like, none of them go to church, and they're all, they have the same challenges we have. So when I first moved to Red Bluff, I, I, we, my wife and I and our five kids moved, and we came from the Midwest. And, and, like, the way we would describe the Midwest, where we lived, is that everybody was Catholic and Lutheran. Everybody. Like, everybody. Even the atheists were Lutheran and Catholic. It was just like... It was amazing, right? Is that not true, Don? It was like everybody was. And so then we moved here, and I just, and as I've engaged with culture and tried to understand our, our context and whatnot, I have come to the conclusion that we're very Bible Beltish in this community, right? That's why I jokingly call us Calabama. We live in Calabama, guys. You just need to accept it. It's Calabama. And, and so here's the thing about that, though. And it's a challenge. We just have to realize is that it's super easy for us to check boxes that say we're Christian. But what about how we live our lives? Like that is the challenge that Paul is getting at here is he's talking about putting our faith into actions. Like it's one thing to come to, to church on Sunday morning and to stand in a room and to say Jesus is Lord and to sing these songs and pray these prayers. But it gets a little bit more challenging Monday through Saturday. Can I get an amen? Just it is. And so that's what Paul's doing here is he's calling us to connect our faith with our action, to, to really see that you can't disconnect your faith and belief 
from, from believing and being faithful. In fact, that's essentially what, what Paul is doing right here, is he's trying to challenge us and say that we need to reconnect the biblical concept of having faith with being fruitful and faithful. In fact, the Greek word and the Hebrew word, so in the Old Testament Hebrew and the New Testament Greek, the word for faith is the same word for faithful. It is impossible to say that you have faith in something and to not be faithful to that. Now, how many of my spouses in the room can say amen? Right? Like, you can't say, well, I'm, I, I have faith in our marriage, but I'm not very faithful. Like, that doesn't work. Right? It's, it's both. Like, how, I do, is there any spouses who would disagree that the desire is to have a Someone to have faith in the marriage and also be faithful? No, it's the same thing. It's the same thing with, with our religion, our, our faith in Jesus. It has to be connected to being faithful to, to Jesus and the teachings of Scripture. And, and I think that um, as I've, I've like really considered this a lot. So I've been, as most of you know, I've been in church my whole life. Like my mom became a Christian early on and started forcing me to go for my whole life. I've, I've been around churches for the most part. And here's the thing, I went through that season of, of life where I was like, this is my mom and dad's thing, and you know, yeah, it's, it's the thing that they make me do, and I have to go do this. And then I came to the point where I started to ask questions, and I had to start making decisions about my faith based off of my own decisions. Are you with me? And so then you start asking questions and wrestling with things, and, and I will tell you this, that as I made the decision to follow Jesus, what I came in, in, in came into, I guess, contact with was the, the whole idea of Jesus as Lord. What does that mean? Well, here's what I discovered is over time, what it means is that you can't put signs on areas of your life that says no trespassing to Jesus. If Jesus is Lord, he's Lord of all. Amen? And so it means we start, we start saying, well, what about this area of my life? Like, God, what, what do you have to say about this? What, what do you have have to, to critique or to encourage or what do I need to change my thinking on in order to conform to the teachings of Scripture and to bring glory to God. That is a process that I'm still in, and I want to tell you right now that you are also still in it no matter how long you've been following Jesus or how old you are. That's the whole process of discipleship, is learning to turn things over to God. Amen? And so that's what, what Paul is doing is here. He's, cha- he's challenging that. He's saying, hey, listen, if Jesus is supreme over all things, if he is preeminent over all things, then it means that you can't put a no trespassing sign on areas of your life. You have to say that he is Lord of all. So Jesus, how would you like me to live my life? How would you like me to interact with my neighbors? How would you like me to avoid Facebook? Sorry, it's kind of a joke, but, but I'm not. Okay. So that's what we got going on here is connecting faith to, to action. So here's what I think that we can do right now for just a minute. I think this is fascinating to kind of go down this rabbit trail. And I think this is, uh, in a sense, it's, uh, it's seeing how there are some, some, I don't know, some empty promises and shallow deceptions that are existing in this text that, 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 that Paul is, is kind of wrestling with. But before we do that, I want you to think about um, some, some, some application that's happening right now. How many of you have noticed that there is a massive divide between urban contexts and rural contexts, right? Or is it just me? Like rural people, as I count myself one of them, I, do you ever feel like you're just misrepresented by media? <laughs> like we're not dumb hicks is what I'm trying to say. 
Okay, I got two master's degrees. I know some things. But like we, we oftentimes feel that way. Or I think there's a divide um, in, in other ways that, that city centers in rural America feel. And, and we're seeing it obviously in politics. But, but I, I know that I have friends that live in urban, urban communities. And I'll be honest, they face challenges in urban communities that people in rural communities don't face. And so that's why I think you see the divide in politics. But there's a lot of different ways that that fleshes out. Are you guys all with me? Okay, so there's like differences in educational or social economic statuses or just cultural differences, and there's a lot of differences. So here's what I think is fitting for us this morning to observe about the Apostle Paul, and he uses two metaphors that I think critique both of those, I guess, contexts. Listen to what he says in verse, verse 7. He says, let your roots grow down into Jesus and let your lives be built on him. Okay, let your roots grow down into Jesus and let your lives be built on him. He uses an agricultural metaphor, talking about roots, farming, rural. And he uses a, a urban metaphor, building, which has to do with, with this, this concept, context of built, right? Being built on him. And so for our purposes, I think it's very appropriate to note that everyone, regardless of whatever context they're in, or whichever perspective they tend to align themselves with, all of them have to build or grow their roots into Jesus, right? It's a, all I'm saying is this, is this is what I think is really important for us, and it will keep you from going crazy, is that at the end of the day, the kingdom of God critiques all worldly philosophies, period. Amen? It just does. It's why it's like it's really hard right now to be a follower of Jesus and to feel like you are represented. And I know people feel that way across the board. So we need to recognize what is central and what is foundational to our faith. And we need to learn to, dis to discern the empty promises and the shallow philosophies that are outside of the kingdom of God. And that's what I think we need to see that Paul's doing here. And there's a lot of empty promises out there right now, ain't they? There's just so many promises that are coming from every, every you know, area of the world. It's like, it's just we're constantly hearing all these different promises and I think, uh, I think shallow deceptions. And, but there's something eternal and there's something in true. And there's something that is sustainable and lasting that we can lean into and that is the kingdom of God. Amen? It's, it's what we can lean into. And that's, that's what we need to really spend some time doing. And so in a world that's full of disconnection, um, I, I think right now that is what many of us are feeling the most. We're feeling disconnected. I mean, I don't know, this like last week, I got to have coffee with three or four people and I was like giddy, like, <laughs> coffee, friends. This is like amazing. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? It's like, like this, this morning, um, you know, like, do you remember back when before all this crazy stuff People would be here like an hour and a half before service talking and like slobbering over each other and hugging. You know, like no one and everybody would shake hands and, and then lick their finger. I don't know. It was like crazy. It's a crazy world, right? And, and now it's like, okay, church starts at 10. We'll arrive at 10.04 and we're going to make sure to sit in the back, you know. And it's, I'm kind of teasing a little bit, but it's true because this morning at 9.35, I was sitting in the, the foyer and uh, I was just drinking a cup of coffee, and there's a bunch of people, and we're all talking. And I was like, man, I miss this. This is, like, really important. You know, and that's, that's like, I think we 
we all have that feeling. And so and we live in a world right now that's so disconnected, and people are struggling with all these things. And, and so there's all these shallow and empty promises and philosophies that you can find your, your identity in X, Y, Z. But let me tell you right now, if that is not Jesus, you will not be eternally sustained, and you will not find your sense of purpose in the world that we live in. It just can't happen. And so we need to know, we need to know that we are made complete by being united with Christ. I mean, that's why I've, I've said this many times, my favorite catechism. You know, there, there's these, over church history, what's happened is pastors and church leaders have said, hey, we need to like somehow communicate all the important things that followers of Jesus need to believe. And so they would write these statements of faith or creeds, or they would come up with catechisms. And catechism is essentially just a fancy word that says it's a statement of faith that people would memorize. And so um, they would disciple people. And children in some traditions would, would learn catechisms at a young age so they could answer questions like this. And this is from the Heidelberg. But the question in the Heidelberg catechism is, is you know, what is my only comfort in life and death? And so think about how the world would answer that question. Money, you know, or internet fame. If you can get 100,000 followers on Instagram, you are going to be so happy, right? Or, or all the other ways that our, our world and our society tries to, tries to encourage you to find your identity. But let me tell you right now, if your identity is not grounded in you being united with Jesus, it is an empty and shallow promise. So this is the way that that the, the answer to that, that question is, what is my only hope in life and death? It is that I do not belong to myself, but I belong to my loving Savior, Jesus Christ. So at the end of the day, I'm good. Why? Because I am connected to Jesus. Because he is supreme over all things. And that is what Paul is doing right here. So let me end with this. This is what I think is really interesting about, about faith. So we all... I think for the most part, have these ups and down moments in our, our walk with Jesus. Like when you're doing good, you're doing good. And when you're in a valley, have you ever noticed? It's terrible, right? And we're constantly going through that. And, and so this is what I've observed in, in you know, 20 years of ministry is that every once in a while, I'll have somebody come up to me and say, hey, listen, I want to get baptized. I'm like, cool, let's talk about that. Okay. Well, so tell me about your faith story. Well, you know, I became a Christian when I was 15 years old, and I was baptized when I was 17, and, and I spent the next 30 years kind of wrestling, and, and I want to get baptized again now. I'm like, well, why do you want to get re-baptized? And there are some times where my, my suggestion or answer to that would be like, yeah, it sounds like you need to get, get baptized because you never really were baptized because when you first time went under, it didn't sound like you actually had made a profession of faith, and you had a relationship with God, and maybe you're forced into it, whatever. But oftentimes, it's this. I don't feel it anymore. I don't feel it. It's all about feelings. And I just don't feel as connected to God right now. And so I want to get baptized because I know when I come out of the water, everybody's going to clap, and I'm going to feel amazing. And I'm like, okay. Well, here's another suggestion. Consider the words of Paul here. Okay, look at back in Colossians chapter 2. The very end of it, he says this. This is interesting. He says in, in uh, verse 11, when you came to Christ, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised not 
but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, even if you didn't feel it. Even if you didn't feel the goosebumps, you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead, period. Now think about this. Isn't it interesting that Paul is writing to a bunch of Christians who had already been baptized, reminding them as to what baptism meant? Why? Because I think sometimes when we get to that valley place and we're not feeling it and we're not getting the goosebumps, we need other followers of Jesus to tell us, hey, I know that you might not feel connected right now, but let me tell you the truth of the gospel. The gospel is that God loves you far more than you could ever imagine, and Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, and when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you experience salvation, and then when you went and got baptized because you wanted to make a public proclamation, you were connected to Jesus' death and his future resurrection for you. Amen? Like, you need to be reminded of that. And that's the beauty of baptism is that I have, been, I have been at many places in my life. I was baptized when I was eight years old. I've told some of you this. The only thing I remember about my baptism is that it was right after ice hockey practice. I had a hole in my sweats, and I thought everybody was looking at me. That's it. There was no goosebumps, okay? But now I look back, and I know that when I got baptized, something was happening that I still think is somewhat of a mystery, but I'm deeply connected to Jesus and to the body of his baptized believers. And that's what we need to realize here. Why? Because Jesus is supreme over all things. He's supreme over all things. So even when I'm not feeling it, even when you're not feeling it, at the end of the day, Jesus loves you more than you'll ever know. Ever know. He loves you more than you could even fathom. And so we can lean into that because he's... he's, he's made himself present for us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's stand up together. So here's the deal. What is the point? I think the point is that Paul is, is, is again, this is, this is what I think is so interesting here. Paul is again in this text challenging us if you're in this room and you would say, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm a, a person who believes that Jesus died for my sins. If you're in that category, what he's challenging you right now is to put your faith into action. So I think what that begins to look like is you start reading Scripture more. You start spending time in prayer more. You start engaging with other followers of Jesus more. You start sharing your faith. All these different things that, that you will grow into as you continue to walk your your. Your, your relationship out with Jesus, like that's what happens. But here's the deal. It, it, it is based off of you having a relationship with God and being connected to him. If you're not at that point of, point of realizing that, then that's where we're going to start. Amen? So I'm just going to encourage you to close your eyes right now and, and just whatever you need to do that will create a space where you feel like you can engage with God. And so, yeah, Father, we pray right now for your your spirit to continue working right now. And Lord, we are, I, I believe,
believe we are in this room wanting to ask for your, your guidance and your direction and to figure out how we can put our faith into action. And so I pray right now, Lord, that, that whatever areas of our lives that are not aligning with the teachings of Scripture, with, with, that are maybe not embodying what it means to be a, a loving, kind person, God, that you would help us to, to leave those things behind and to embrace the characteristics of your kingdom. And I pray that, Lord, um, also for anybody in this room that's feeling disconnected, that's feeling like they're in a, a space of, of, uh, of the valley, God, Lord, I, I, didn't, I pray right now, Lord, that they wouldn't feel more shame for that because I know everybody in this room has felt that way at least once. I know I have felt that way hundreds of times. And so I pray for two things. I pray, number one, if they've been baptized, that they would be reminded once again right now of what that means. And secondly, I pray that, that, um, that you would help them right now to sense and to encounter your love. Right now, God, that nobody would leave this place. Nobody would leave this gathered space where we've been together for the last hour. That no one would leave this without knowing and without, without experiencing your love. Your love, God. Would your Holy Spirit right now pour the love of God into our hearts? Would you fill us with your presence and your love to the point where it overflows into the, the world around us. And God, as we transition from this space of being gathered together, would you go with us? Would you, would you guide us? Would you help us? Would you do all the things that we need in order to bring you glory and to help other people flourish? We pray this in your name. Amen. Really quickly before uh, we dismiss, I want to just mention next week, uh, how many of you remember Nikki Wolter? Just a couple of you. Uh, I'll tell her. Anyway, Nikki, you know, planted a church out of our church uh, like a year and a half ago, I guess. And so Terry uh, Dean went up there, and we went up there a couple weeks ago, and we're going to have a short little uh, presentation next Sunday to give you an update on how their church is going and just to kind of give you some, some video and footage of, of those things. And so we're also going to... Um, record, just like we'll have a camera just like this, and we'll record a greeting for her that she doesn't know about. So hopefully she's not watching this on Facebook. But all right, God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a great week.